Hello, and welcome to the podcast about the national debt. I've subtitled this show, The Most Important Political Subject No One Cares About. I admit that sounds a little bit like clickbait, but I needed something to catch people's attention about what is normally a rather dry subject. I could have easily called it the most important political discussion you'd normally sleep through, but that might not have had the desired effect. Maybe. I also could have called it the most political subject that crosses all political boundaries, simply because it will eventually affect all people and every party and every interest group should be concerned about it. Though no one feels he or she is affected by it now, to paraphrase Yoda, You will be. You will be. This podcast is, quite simply, an attempt to put the Western democracy's looming government debt fiasco into layman's terms. We will explore the vast sums of money that governments continue to borrow, year in and year out, in a way that will make the subject real and easy to understand. It aims to tackle a very political subject in a very nonpartisan and apolitical fashion. Though I have my own political beliefs and preferences, as we all do, as to how tax money should be spent, I will do my best to keep those preferences out of the discussion. The point of this podcast is to educate everybody of all political stripes as to the imminent danger we face in our ever-enlarging deficit. The arguments made in this podcast will be data-driven. By that, I mean that I will present facts from a reliable source without an obvious agenda as much as possible. If data do not exist for a certain aspect of the debt or economy, I will make my best guess and provide the reasoning and supporting facts behind my analysis. It is surprising how few studies there have been on many aspects of this subject. It is also surprising how difficult it is to find solid numbers or good work working theories on many fundamental aspects as well. Many of the assumptions and numbers, as near as I can tell, are simply conjecture and have come out of thin air. For example, while almost everyone will agree that there is a point at which a nation has borrowed too much, there is no good consensus on just how much that is. The assumption that is quoted most often is that a total debt of 100% of gross domestic product, all the stuff that's made in a country in a year, is too much. How someone arrived at this figure, no one knows. I have never found any grounding in fact or research. It is most likely just a round number that someone pulled out of thin air. Lest anyone be intimidated by all this, I will break down figures in a fashion that ordinary people can understand. I think the biggest problem to understanding the vast scope of our looming problem is that the numbers and scale are simply much larger than what any normal person would ever deal with. Further, I will go into the details so that people can make informed decisions about these issues. If you've ever seen the movie Big Short, which is about how the housing bubble of the early 2000s created a terrible recession, you will remember that complicated concepts were explained by attractive celebrities. It was a clever ploy to keep the audience's attention explaining a particularly dry subject that was critical. I unfortunately don't have the budget for attractive celebrities, sorry, so I will have to do the best I can to keep my analogies interesting. This podcast will largely focus on the debt problems of the U.S. government. 
usually better known as the federal government. However, we will sometimes delve into problems of other countries, as nearly all Western democracies have the same fundamental fiscal problems, and those problems have the same causes. I will not spend as much bandwidth on the debt issues with states or provinces and local governments, as for the most part, they are actually far better off than the national governments that over them. Each episode will go into depth on one particular aspect of spending, taxes, or debt. At the end of most episodes, as a little bonus, I will provide a variety of little factoids and trivia about the people and ideas we discussed for those people that are interested in such things. Let me go over some basic assumptions for the conclusions in our podcast. The first assumption is, you can't get something for nothing. Or, in other words, as Nobel Prize-winning economist Milton Friedman famously put it once, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Every penny that is spent has a cost to some real person somewhere, even if that person is not actually a part of the transaction. Everything has to be paid for. We will go over this concept in depth later on. Second, you cannot outright break the laws of economics. You might bend these laws, which are mostly basic math, for some time, but in the long run, they will not be ignored. Economics does not work like the simulated world in the Matrix movies. Whoa. As another famous economist, Howard Stein, once said, if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. Sooner or later, there will be consequences for all this excessive borrowing. The third assumption is that real government revenue ultimately comes from taxes paid by real people, almost always its own citizens. This might seem like an obvious observation. Thanks, Captain Obvious. But sometimes people think they can sidestep this. Taxing corporations or goods imported from another country, for example, are ultimately paid by the corporate owners or the customers. The money simply doesn't come out of thin air, which is really going back to our first assumption. You can't get something for nothing. This concept will also be fleshed out more in the future. All right, let's get to it. Let's start with basics about just how much money the United States government truly owes. In order to understand that, let's first talk about how much these numbers really mean. We're all familiar with the concept of a millionaire as a wealthy person. This is someone who possesses stuff worth at least a million dollars. We're also familiar with the concept of a billionaire, someone who is one of the wealthiest people on the planet. However, government spending is almost always listed in billions or even trillions of dollars. These figures seem almost surreal to most of us. Most of us will never have direct contact with a bank account worth even $1 million unless it's at our workplace. Even then, the number likely won't have much meaning. Most of us will never spend that kind of money on any one purchase for ourselves. Our houses and cars are typically expressed in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And a billion dollars? Very few people indeed ever have to deal with that kind of money. So, how much is a million? It's a thousand thousand, a one followed by six zeros. So how much is a billion? It's a thousand times a million, 
are one followed by nine zeros. A trillion is a thousand times a billion or a million times a million. It's a one followed by 12 zeros. So let's take a real world analogy to put this in perspective better. Let's say we have a stack of $10 bills. That's the one that has Alexander Hamilton on it. According to the internet, and we all know, you can't put anything that isn't true on the internet. A million dollars is a stack of $10 bills, 35.8 feet high. For our listeners who prefer the metric system, that's a stack of bills about 10.9 meters high. Depending on the height of the ceilings and the roof, this would be the height of about a two or three story house. So that's a million dollars in $10 notes. So how high do you think a stack of a billion dollars with a B would be? A stack of a billion $10 bills would be 6.79 miles high or 10.9 kilometers. Whereas a million dollars is the height of a house, a stack of a billion would be up in the sky at the cruising altitude of a commercial jet. Please let that sink in for a second. A million dollars in $10 bills is the height of a house. A billion is at the same height as a jet at cruising altitude. So how high is a trillion dollars? A stack of a trillion $10 bills would be almost 7,000 miles high or 11,000 kilometers. For comparison, outer space begins somewhere around 50 miles up. The International Space Station orbits about 254 miles up, which means anyone looking out the window in this space station at our theoretical stack of money would only be looking at about 3% of its height. If we were to stack the bills down on the ground instead of straight up, that pile of money would stretch roughly from New York to Tokyo. That's a trillion dollars for you. I'm sure some of our more mathematically inclined listeners are tired of all these analogies, but I want people to truly understand the magnitude of these numbers. As of the beginning of 2020, before the COVID crisis, we had $17.23 trillion or so of so-called publicly held debt. Because of the crisis and our ongoing budget deficits, we've added several trillion dollars more since then. As of August 31st, 2020, the U.S. government had publicly held debt of $20.83 trillion. Using our theoretical stack of $10 bills, that would be a pile over 141,000 miles high or more than halfway to the moon. Think about that for a second. All right, some of you have probably picked up on the fact that I use the phrase publicly held debt. That's because there is some disagreement about just how much money the government actually owes. You'd think it would be simple, but it's not. I have chosen to use the publicly held debt figure because it is generally not in dispute, it is easy for anyone to look up, and most importantly, it only includes money that the government is actually required to pay out. 
This is typically money that some external person or group of people loan to the government. This could include just about anybody. Private U.S. citizens, investment funds, corporations, you name it. It also includes foreigners and even foreign nations. Some of the biggest holders of American debt are actually other countries. So let's go over what kinds of loans and obligations are not included in this figure. First, it does not include debts that one government agency owes another. This is currently about $6 trillion. Because this debt is not held by the public, in other words, someone who is external to the government itself, it is not considered publicly held debt. I do not include this figure in my calculations because it isn't something that makes the government richer or poorer. For example, the State Department may owe the Defense Department a trillion, a billion dollars. So one government arm owes the other a billion, but at the same time, one agency is now owed the same amount by another. The net result of this transaction for the government as a whole is zero. This is sometimes a useful accounting practice for governments and large, large corporations, but it's just a gimmick. You can't really owe yourself money. Think about it. This will come into play quite a bit during our episode on Social Security. The second item uh, publicly held debt does not include are, is, are pension obligations. This is money the government has promised retirees, either its own employees or beneficiaries of programs like Social Security. Though people like to think of these as obligations, the beneficiaries don't truly have a legal claim to the money, at least not, not like the publicly held debt. Regardless of what people say, all the government has to do to reduce its pension obligations is to pass a law that says it's not going to pay them out as much in the future. Presto! The government has in fact done this several times for Social Security in the past, and there is no reason to believe it won't do it again in the future. The third category of items not included in publicly held debt are guarantees of other people's loans. For example, the U.S. government guarantees millions of people's college loans, home loans, and bank deposits. If you've ever had a cosigner on a loan, or been a cosigner, you can think of this as the government being a cosigner for someone else. This is a tricky one. Yes, some of these loans will go bad, and when they do, the government is on the hook for them. On the other hand, most of them will not, and the government will not be the one making the payments. If the program is properly designed, the cost of bailing out the people who welch is budgeted into calculations for how much these programs will cost. The next question we need to know is, how much are we adding or subtracting to this number? In 2019, the federal government spent almost a trillion dollars more than it took in, $984 billion. On a $4.4 trillion budget, that means that over $1 in five that was spent that year was borrowed. Since 1960, the U.S. government has had to borrow money to pay its bills year in and year out in all but four years. It did not matter whether we were at peace or at war, in a recession or in a boom. One of those four years was in the 1960s. 
The other three were in the late 1990s and early 2000s, when projected revenues of a booming economy vastly exceeded expectations. If I may be permitted a slightly political comment, the real reason we had a surplus those years was that the president of one party and Congress of a different one simply couldn't agree on how to dispose of the extra money fast enough. The situation didn't last, and then we were back to our old spendthrift ways soon enough, no matter which party had power in any branch. So it's a fair assumption that this problem is going to continue to balloon year after year until at some point that abstract balloon bursts. I think that's enough for now. This ends the regular episode. For those who are interested in such things, it's time for the extraneous facts and bits of trivia. If you recall, I mentioned a famous economist named Howard Stein. He is the one who said, if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. He was the father of actor and game show host Ben Stein. He played the part of the boring teacher in the 80s movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Anyone? Anyone? For those that are curious as to why I chose to use $10 bills for my examples, they simply made the most visually appealing and easy to understand analogies. Any stack of $1 bills was just too big. A million dollars in ones is as high as a football field is long. A stack of $100 bills has the opposite problem. A stack of a million C notes is only a little over a yard or a meter high. A billion hundred dollar bills was about three-fifths of a mile or a kilometer, which didn't have the effect I wanted. For foreigners or others who do not have a good understanding of government in the United States, the national government, at least in theory, is only supposed to deal with issues that have national importance. The governments of the states, what are usually called provinces in other nations, have a great deal of independence and autonomy. Each state, in turn, has local governments for cities and counties. The states and most municipal governments can borrow money on their own terms. These governments usually have strict constitutional limits on when they can and cannot borrow money, and their budgets normally have to be balanced each year. Further, they cannot issue their own currency, so they cannot simply print money when the economy takes a bad turn. For these reasons, many, maybe most of them, are actually on far more sound footing than the national government. All right, that's it for our extras. I'll see you next time.